Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. You've probably tried one of those quizzes on Facebook that asks what superhero you would be, or what your sales style says about you. What you might not have known is how important quizzes like that can be for acquiring customers and building a relationship with them. In this episode of Hack the Process, we hear from Josh Hainem, founder and CEO of Interact, a company that specializes in helping businesses large and small benefit from quiz-based marketing. Josh will tell us why coaching was critical in helping him launch and grow his company, what simple technique kept him motivated while he built up his customer base, and how we can stay safe while still enjoying our online quizzes. Today, I'm speaking with Josh Hainem, who is the uh, CEO and founder of Interact, a platform creating online quizzes. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. So I mentioned you're doing Interact. Did I describe that correctly? Online quizzes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's online quizzes. And when I say that, it's probably what pops into your mind when I say that. So it is actually those quizzes that are on Facebook. You know, what kind of coffee are you? Which Disney princess are you? All that kind of stuff. So it's the software behind it. And a lot of people, when I tell them that, they stop for a second and then they say, wow, I never thought about that, but I guess it makes sense that somebody is doing that. And that's what it is. You know, when there's a trend like that where everybody's taking quizzes as they are right now and they're all over news feeds everywhere, Facebook feeds, that kind of stuff, we are the software that makes that possible and we sell it to businesses and then they use it to create quizzes for marketing. Okay. And I've definitely seen those. I'm sure everybody in the audience has seen those as well. You know, so sometimes they're pretty cheesy and sometimes they can be just clickbait enough that you just, you have to click on them to find out more. Yeah. They have just this crazy appeal and it's actually a really natural thing because the thing about quizzes is that they let you talk about yourself. And I saw the power of it firsthand. Last Friday, I was actually helping out at my, my sister is an elementary school teacher and I went to her career day and I had groups of K through sixth graders coming around to talk to me about my career. Now I'm a CEO in a startup in a very advanced technology. They are not interested in that, but we started taking quizzes together. And let me tell you, those kids were cheering. They were screaming. They were yelling about which answer they wanted for themselves. It was the most popular booth. The firefighter was over in the corner. just like, what is happening? No one wants to come to my booth. They all want to take the quiz. So it's a very, very natural thing that we love to express ourselves by answering questions, which is what a quiz allows you to do. And that's why they draw so many people in and you see them everywhere. And, and it's not specific to one age group too. I mean, you're mentioning kids, but I think that it ranges from a lot of age groups. What have you seen? Yeah, we did a campaign with Jiffy Lube and the average quiz taker was a 65 year old man. And then I had that quiz with the kindergartners and they all had the same amount of engagement. You know, the, the Jiffy Lube quiz, 
was an ad and it had 200 comments going back and forth where these men were arguing about which kind of classic car they were, which is just hilarious. <laughs> you know. And there's actually no bounds to it. It goes from five-year-olds to 65-year-olds, men and women. There's really no boundaries to it because you're just talking about yourself and everybody loves to do that. We love to talk about ourselves. We love to express who we are. And there's actually pheromones released in your brain, like dopamine, when you talk about yourself because it's a self-expression thing. It's you, you know, expressing who you are. And that really resonates with us internally. So interact. It's primarily platformed on Facebook. Yeah. So most of the people promote stuff on Facebook. You create the quizzes using our website. So you go to our website and create the quizzes. But then you publish them and you post them to Facebook as well as your website. So you can put them on your website as a pop-up or as an announcement bar. So then it pops up with a quiz on your website. But a lot of people do them as Facebook posts or ads. Okay. I, I have to ask that there has been some controversy about online quizzes that come through Facebook. Some of them are phishing scams. Some of them are rumored to be places where people can steal your identity. And I think that there have been some folks who've been leery about getting involved with quizzes because of that. I'm curious how you see that from your perspective. Yeah. So those quizzes that were doing that were asking people to sign in with their Facebook profiles, which is not only illegal, but it's also directly against Facebook's terms. So that's what was happening. The way our quizzes work is there's an optional form. And if you fill it out, then you give your information to people. So the only way anybody gets your information is if you type it out, which <laughs> you can't really call that phishing because you gave it to them. So that's how ours work. And they're not set up to connect to Facebook at all. They don't pull your information from anywhere. The only way you give your information is if you give it and you give consent for people to use that information. So yeah, you do need to avoid anything that asks you to sign in using Facebook. You should actually really never be doing that. And once you do, they can take all of your information. So just don't sign in stuff with Facebook. But if somebody is asking for your email and you want to give it and then you type it in, that's how our quizzes work. Okay. And that's very good advice for folks, because I'm sure people will be wondering about that. It's a fascinating phenomenon. It's become ubiquitous, I think, in social media, that these things are showing up everywhere. We've had about 45,000 quizzes made, and they've been taken maybe hundreds of millions of times at this point. I know at least tens of millions. And the purpose of the quizzes is to help companies collect new contacts, because there's an optional form you can fill out at the end if you say, I want you know, this company to contact me about my coffee preferences, you can fill that out. And we just passed collecting 7 million new contacts for our partner companies, well, our customers. That's amazing, though. The And with numbers like that, and also the kinds of companies that you're working with, you mentioned Jiffy Lube, and I, I think you've got some very high profile customers. Yeah, we've worked with a lot. It's been really nuts. You know, really early on, we got Forbes and Red Lobster. We work with the United Nations. We work with the, with the American Red Cross. Home Depot, Lush Cosmetics, Volcom, just the list keeps going on. Target, Bosch, and every day almost there's a new name that pops up. We just started working with Alex Nanny, which is a jewelry brand, and there's so many people that we've had the privilege to just be connected with. So it sounds like you've got a big B2E, business to enterprise businesses, in addition to a B2B where you've got smaller companies that are working with you as well, right? Yeah. So we work with about 40,000 companies overall. We have a freemium product, so a lot of them are just using it for free. But yeah, we have everybody from literally the largest companies in the world all the way down to a ton of just sole proprietor businesses. It's just one person running a blog, running a website, and they'll use the quizzes for 
their website or blog. So it's a challenge to try to get companies that are that well-established with that big budgets to trust and believe in a small startup company. I'm really curious how you made that transition to start with when you first got started. Yeah, yeah. So we failed at it for a while because we were trying to approach people directly and that didn't work for the exact reason that you say. Nobody trusted us. They're not going to believe that we know what we're doing. You know, we were just a couple of college kids when we first started this thing. So you get an email from a college kid talking to you about this new marketing strategy. You're not going to open it, much less reply. So I sent thousands of emails and no one replied. But then what I started doing was writing about what I knew and what I knew was quizzes because that was all I had been doing for a year plus at that point. So I started writing articles and I did about a hundred before anybody actually signed up for our product. But I also got really good at writing while I was, you know, doing that. So not only was I getting better at writing, but I was also getting more authoritative. And that's what actually got us all those big names. You know, Forbes and the American Red Cross read articles that I wrote and then just signed up without questioning it because they had read something that seemed very educational. It seemed very on point, had a lot of good data to back it up. And then they're not going to question it, but they get an email from me. They're going to question the heck out of it. They're not going to sign up. So it ended up being the education that actually powered us through to getting those signups. That's interesting. So where were you publishing these articles? Because this couldn't have just been on your blog. Yeah, so it started on my blog as I was practicing. And then once I got better, I started pitching other blogs. So a lot of marketing blogs, entrepreneur.com, Kissmetrics, Buffer, that kind of stuff. So all those sites I did, uh, I've done a few hundred guest posts at this point. So a lot of different websites that I pushed out that content to. But then I still write on my own blog as well, the Interact blog. Well, that is the company blog. So I write there with kind of supporting pieces and then I'll do pieces for other blogs as well. What got you started with quizzes in the first place? I mean, it's an obscure area, but it certainly is taking off quickly. Yeah, so we started way before it was cool. We started <laughs> five years ago. Uh, and five years ago, it was not cool. You'd tell somebody at a party five years ago, and they're like, wait, like school? And now they know exactly what you're talking about. They say, oh, yeah, the ones on Facebook, I do that all the time. So we started it sort of by accident. Myself and Matt, who I started the company with, were web consultants. So we would build websites for people. And one of our clients requested a quiz. He was a sales trainer, and he requested a what type of salesperson are you quiz that was connected to his Aweber list. So he used Aweber for his email marketing because he wanted more contacts. So we built that quiz for him manually, and it converted ridiculously well. So his website that we built for him converted at 1%. So one out of 100 people became a contact. His quiz converted at 75%. Oh, man. 75 out of 100 people who took his quiz became a contact. And we looked at that and scratched our heads. It was just silly. And we just thought it was so funny. But then it was just too big to ignore. So we built the platform so other people can create quizzes. Is becoming a contact essential to to the way that people interact with these quizzes? Like you can't get your results unless you become a contact or something like that? Yeah, you can make it like that, but usually you can either opt in or you can just see your results and just skip the contact form. So usually companies set it up to where it says opt in to get free advice on your particular type of salesperson, the one that you are, or skip this step and just see my results anyways. So it's an optional thing, but since it's relevant to the quiz itself, you end up getting about half the people to opt in. 
Okay, that's interesting. So it, it sounds like part of the process is creating the value add, almost the upsell at the end of the quiz. Yeah, exactly. So you want to make sure that you're you're adding something beyond just seeing the quiz results. It's what am I going to get beyond that? Because that's what everybody wants. They want to know what's in it for them. So you want to make sure you tell them, and then people will opt in through your quiz. So when you saw that kind of result, I mean, did that surprise you? Or was it something that you could reasonably have anticipated, given what you knew about web development at the time? You know, it did catch me off guard because we would spend a lot of time trying to build these beautiful experiences. We would try to follow the latest design trends. At that point, everything was Twitter bootstrap kind of design. It was these big buttons and, you know, large interfaces, a lot of white space. We would spend all this time drawing stuff out. And I, I, I personally spent a ton of time drawing out designs for web pages and trying to figure out, okay, the person's coming onto the page. What are they going to be interested in? What are they looking for? How do we make that front and center so they'll find it and click on it? And it just never worked. We never broke through. And then the quiz was such a different way of going about things that I never really thought about. I never fathomed the idea of why don't you just ask a question instead of trying to think about what somebody is thinking, why don't you just ask them? And that changes everything. And that's where the quiz came in. So I never really saw it coming, but now it makes so much sense. And when I dig into the psychology behind it, it's just rational. Why don't you just ask instead of trying to guess what somebody's thinking? Because you're never going to guess right. And you guess wrong 99 out of 100 times, as we saw. But if you ask, then you guess right, get quote unquote, 75 out of 100 times. So if you would just ask people what they're looking for instead of trying to guess, then you win. That's interesting. So it sounds like, you know, the engagement is part of the reason that quizzes are valuable. But the other thing is, you're also getting opportunity to find out things about your audience that you wouldn't know otherwise by hiding it behind the message of a cleverly worded quiz. Yeah, exactly. So we can connect all that data up to your other systems. So now you're collecting data about where somebody wants to go on vacation, which could be silly. But at the same time, if you're then going to send them an article about Italy, if they said they want to go to Italy, that all of a sudden gets you in a much better place with that person. It's as if you had a conversation with them and they mentioned wanting to go to Italy. And then the next time you saw that person, you brought up Italy. Think about how many brownie points that gets you with that person. And you're doing that at a massive scale because it's all automated and you're just sending out articles based on how people answer questions. So it's really emulating the best part of what makes a good conversation, what makes a good kind of caring, listening person where you're paying attention to what people are saying and then responding to that. And it's all done automatically and you can do it a million times in a row. You know, we've had quizzes that people take a million times in a day and all of a sudden you're replicating all of those good things that we do in person, but through this quiz medium. It sounds like what content goes into a quiz is a big part of what you do above and beyond the technology. Yeah. So what we did with that recently, which has changed everything, is we took all of the data that we have, because we have tons of data from these 45, 50,000 quizzes, and we made a bunch of templates. So now you can just say, I'm a sales trainer, and you select the sales training category, and then it gives you the what type of salesperson are you template that's done. And you can change it, obviously, because you want to make it your own words and have your own pictures and stuff like that. But you don't have to do that whole step of, okay, what should I do? How do I write it? What's the title? All of that's finished for you. So we've done that for every industry. We've got about 175 templates and the portfolio is growing. 
So you can just grab something that's already done based on everything we've learned and plug that in with your own wording and your own spin on it. So it's, it's really revolutionized how fast people are pushing these things out. They're doing it in an afternoon instead of two or three weeks now. So it's crazy. Well, with that kind of volume, I'm guessing that the company's not just you and Matt anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> it was until the beginning of this year. So actually, no, the beginning of last year. So until the beginning of last year, it was just me and Matt. Then we added Connor. And then at the beginning of this year, we just started a growth spurt. And we went from the three of us in January of 2017. And now we've got 10. So been quite the jump in the last nine months or so. Wow. No, so that, that is a transition that I'm really curious how you navigated because, you know, get, bringing on new staff and trying to distribute responsibilities out to a whole staff of people, that can be very challenging. Yeah, it's definitely been a challenge. And I think I, I have a coach that I meet with every week. He's an executive coach, got a PhD in psychology, coaches a lot of really big companies. And we kind of talked through almost like a playbook of what I would do when we got to this point, even when we didn't get to this point. So we were talking through a lot of these things about how to be a good manager and how to work with people. And a lot of these things are general principles and, you know, overall, but we talked through a lot of it ahead of time, which was helpful, but then it's still a process. And I think one of the biggest things is just hiring the right people and then just trusting them to do what you ask them to do. And that right there has paid off just crazy amounts, just crazy amounts. Jane, who was the first hire beyond the three, has just taken on all of our operations and I don't touch it. And I don't necessarily want to know what's going on day to day. We just have high level meetings and she handles everything, which is a crazy shift for me because it takes all that mental energy off of my plate and I'm able to think about what's next. And then we hired Jess, who runs a lot of our marketing stuff. Same story. Don't really want to know what's happening day to day, you know, the issues that are coming up hour to hour. And we just talk about more high level stuff. And then the rest of the team that came after that, same type of thing. It's just, I, I need this and I trust you to do it the way that you're going to do it and do it well. And then we'll talk about, you know, the strategy behind everything. But it's not a day to day type of thing where I'm constantly checking in to see how things are going. Is your team physically co-located? Most of us are. So we're mostly based out of Oakland in California. And then my co-founder actually still works in Los Angeles. So he is remote. So I know that it can be a struggle for a founder who was also clearly involved in building the business to, to let go of pieces of the business. And I'm curious, how did you get to the point where you could figure out what to let go of? Because that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, you know, it is a it is a real challenge. And so the, the kind of the story arc of the business is that we tried to do direct sales for a long time and that wasn't working. And while we were trying to do direct sales, I was also managing all of our day-to-day -day operations. So customers coming in, that kind of stuff. And so I was, I was not able to think clearly about what was going on. And so for years, I just kept trying to push this direct sales, reach out to people directly, that kind of stuff. And it just was not working. And I finally went on vacation. This was last November. Went on vacation with my brother. And we're sitting by a waterfall in Morocco. And we're just talking about how frustrated I am with what's going on. And it just came to a point where through that conversation and a series of other things, just realized that 
I was stuck. And the only way to get unstuck was if I could think clearly again. And the only way I was going to think clearly is if I wasn't dealing with day-to-day operations. So it was kind of a forced issue for me where I came to a point where I just had to do it. Otherwise, uh, you know, it would have been hard to just keep going the way we were. It was just such a drain every single day to wake up with a stack of emails that I needed to respond to before I could get to anything else. And that's what forced the issue on me right after I came back, started searching for, you know, what ended up being Jane, who runs all of our operations now, and handed it off to her. So I definitely waited too long. I think it's really important to get away like that and kind of look at what's going on with your business and your life in general. And if there's something that is pulling you down a lot, then you need to figure out why and what you can do about it. So I definitely should have done that sooner. But I think it's really important to have that outside perspective of what is it that's dragging me down and how do I not do that anymore? Well, you were at least sensible enough to take some vacation time with your brother in Morocco. So you, you were giving yourself some lifestyle. True, true, true. <laughs> but I'm really curious about the lifestyle changes that this has led to, because you know when you're starting up a business, probably it was so much of your time was involved in the business. And I'm curious what that was like and how that's changed. Yeah, so the that's changed a lot over the time that I've run this business. So when I first started it, it was energizing at the very beginning and it kind of followed the path of the the trajectory of the business in general as well so when we started it it was energizing at first and i was getting up early i was in good routine but then the business started to stagnate a little bit and i started to get pulled down by that i was not having good habits drinking too much beer not sleeping well waking up in the middle of the night slash sleeping in too much, not working out a lot, not socializing a lot. And that went on for a little while. So probably month six to month 12 to 14. It was just kind of a really rough patch. And then some good friends kind of pulled me out of it and were like, you gotta, you gotta stop doing this. And put me on some good routines in terms of kind of getting out of that rough patch and not letting it pull me down as much, but it still was. So I tried to kind of take hold of everything and push through. And this was month 14 to probably 24, you know, the first and second year, end of the first year through the second year. And I was just working really hard. I was playing a ton of basketball and just waking up early and just trying to grind it out. And it didn't really work. It sort of worked, but I just wasn't able to actually push through. And it left me really, really tired all the time. So even though I was getting a lot done, quote unquote, you know, relationships were suffering, stuff with the team was kind of tough, and it just wasn't moving the way I wanted to. So that was kind of stage two slash three that I call powering through. And then I hit another wall, which was what led up to that vacation where it was a different kind of wall where I call it stage of acceptance, where I actually started to be okay with what was going on. The company wasn't growing. We weren't doing super hot in terms of how everything was going overall, but I accepted it, but not in a way of defeat, more in a way of, okay, what can I learn from this? And how can I still enjoy my life 
without it hinging on this thing blowing up and being a huge deal. And that was a really interesting time because that lasted about a year from year two to three-ish. So that was the next stage. And during that stage, I started to develop really good habits. So the first one, uh, I'm a Christian guy, so the first one was journaling slash praying every day, which I hadn't done for a long time. The second one was running every day, which I was never a runner, but then all of a sudden it was just so mind clearing to be running. So sorry, running every day. The third one was waking up early. So I started doing that every day. So I started to develop these habits during this time. And that was during this stage of acceptance or whatever it is. Uh, and then that led to the vacation. After the vacation, coming back, handing off the operations so that my mind could be clear again. And then now for the last year, so the fourth year of all of this, I call it more the stage of a stable persistence where these habits that I formed during the second slash third years are really, really solidifying. So I'm waking up at 5 a.m. every day, living a really healthy lifestyle, eating well, sleeping early, pouring into relationships as much as I can and doing all of these things while still getting more done than I ever did before. And so it's more this sustainable way of pushing through things. And it's really crazy how it dipped and then it kind of came up and then it dipped again. And now it feels like a more slow rise. There's not so many times where I feel as if every day is of paramount importance. And if I don't kill it today, then everything's going to go haywire. It's more of, I know I'm on the right track. And I, I know that because I'm checking in with people who I'm really honest with and they're giving me feedback on my actions and I'm not holding anything back from them. And I'm pushing as much as I can, but also trying to rest and be okay with things. And it's really been crazy because simultaneously with that, the company is also growing really, really well now. So it's all kind of come together in a really, really nice time. And I, I feel like what I'm doing now is sustainable for who knows how long, but it's something that's much more stable. Finding a sustainable routine, that can be a, a big challenge. And I think particularly it can be a big challenge when you're young and you've got a lot of energy and you know that you can just push and push and push and push and push. And that does eventually lead you to hit that brick wall. But when you can find that level where you can keep going at a sustainable pace that keeps you happy and keeps you energized, but still gets things done, that's a real blessing. I say one of my biggest strengths is this ability to just go after things with a voracious appetite. And you do not want to be in the way of me and whatever I'm going after in terms of my goal, because I will push harder than anybody else. And it's almost an non-human level but i have recognized how quickly that burns out and i can do it for a couple of months but after those couple of months i'm a wreck for a little while and that's no way to live and it's no way to live in that up and down trajectory where you know for two weeks out of every six months you're just wrecked and and nothing's happening it's also no way to gain the trust of your customers or the loyalty of your employees Exactly. And it just makes you unstable, you know, and it's really important. One of the litmus tests that I give myself is when something 
comes to a head, you know, when somebody is genuinely angry, when there's actually an issue with a person that's beyond whatever stupid thing we're doing with our company, how quickly does my mind flip off of my pursuit of whatever current thing I'm going after and turn back into a real caring person? If it's anything less than instant, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta do something different because there should never be a time where you lose sight of what's really important and get so wrapped up in what you're doing that you can't make that instant switch over to being that caring person, you know, doing the right thing, taking care of the person who needs it ahead of whatever goals you're going after. So I think it's really important to always, no matter how hard you're going after a goal, be able to make that change. So it sounds like you've got a system worked out for yourself that lets you maintain that sustainable, comfortable pace so that you can stay mindful of those those situations around you. I'm curious, what does your routine look like? What does your day tend to play out like these days? Yeah, so I, I love this because I'm so into routine now. I always thought routine was the opposite of creativity, but now I've realized that routine is the the purveyor of creativity and you have to have routine in order to be creative. So I love it. I'm super into it. So I get up at five every single morning. I wake up, have a quick breakfast, usually just coffee and a cliff bar. I do about a liter of water because I make sure I'm hydrated. And then right after that, I journal and my journaling is writing down what I'm grateful for and then writing out a quick prayer. After that, I jump into my focus task for the day. So if I'm writing, it's writing. If I am working on product, it's working on product. Whatever it is that I'm actually creating, I will do from about 5.30 to 8 a.m. And then at 8 a.m., I'll get ready uh, for the day and then go down to my office. And from 8.45 through about 4, which is my typical working day at the office, I will do meetings, podcasts, shows, that kind of stuff. A lot of meeting with the team, a lot of product stuff, very fragmented. I don't really try to work on anything of my own because it just gets frustrating. There's not enough time to focus on anything. So I dedicate that time to what they call managing time. So you're purposely not focused on anything. So that's what I do during the day. And then after that, I work out, uh, run and lift weights and then do yoga three days a week. So do that at the end of the day. And then after that, I try to schedule a time to have a deep conversation with somebody, whether it's, you know, friends that I live with or a friend that I need to see and catch up with or family member or something like that. I try to do that every day because if I have a real conversation with somebody that's not in work, it helps me have that outside perspective where it's not just about what I'm doing during the day. It helps me remember what's important. So I try to do that at the end of the day and then I'm asleep by 9 p.m. So very routine day. Wow. And I think that's a weekday. Is that five days a week? Five days a week, typically. Yeah. Wow. So one of the, the things that I'm curious about, you uh, you make the time for these conversations at the end of the day in order to take your head out of the work, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It makes you think about things differently and your problems become less important, especially when you talk to somebody that doesn't have any of the same problems. And it really makes you step outside of yourself and kind of look at your own life as if you weren't in it, which I think is really fascinating. And do you take your weekends off? I do. I do. I'm an avid outdoor 
slash hiking person. So I like to hike a lot, hike to go on vacation whenever I can, sometimes just do random road trips, things like that on the weekends. So I try to be outside disconnected whenever I can on the weekends. Very nice. So I like the consistency of the routine that you've come up with. I'm curious how you arrived at it. Yeah, it kind of came in pieces. So when I was in what I'd call sort of a tailspin slash letting just everything hit me in the face, um, the good analogy that I came up with for it was like when people are throwing you a bunch of tennis balls at the same time, you can never focus on any of them. So I was just trying to catch tennis balls. That was my life. And I needed to get something to root me down. And so it started with the journaling slash prayer, which was in the form of Bible study that I did every single day. And a good friend, a couple of good friends kind of not forced me into it, but highly recommended that I do it. And it was the first thing that made me stop for a solid hour at first every day. And that was the first habit that I formed was doing that every day. And so it, it made me stop trying to catch tennis balls for just a little bit and put a box around myself so I could think. And that was the first habit I formed. So I did that. And then towards the tail end of that, I started running because I had done this one habit. Then I had a second one. So I started running. That was my second habit that I formed. Towards the end of that, I started waking up early, which was the third habit that I formed. So I had that one. And then towards the end of that, because I was up early, I started working on those focus tasks in the morning. So that was another habit that I formed. It started with the one, and then I just started stacking these habits. And now I've got these blocks that I kind of do throughout the day. So I've got my morning block, my middle of the day block towards the end of the day. And I can play with those. You know, I can move it earlier or later. And they're flexible. I try to be not too hard on myself if I miss something and let it kind of be fluid. But at the same time, I kind of know what's going to happen. And it, it alleviates a lot of kind of the anxiety of what am I going to work on today or what am I going to do today and made things a lot simpler. So one of the things that I noticed when you described that is you talk about adding habits, but you don't talk about breaking habits. Yeah. So I think they kind of go hand in hand. I almost think you have to replace a bad one with a good one. You know, for example, just the habit of, of you know, having too many, too many beers it was something that I was doing for a while. And that one was pretty much replaced by the running because you're not going to go running after you've had two or three beers. So that kind of went hand in hand. And I kind of like that rather than focusing on the negative where you're saying, oh, I need to stop doing this thing every day. Instead, I need to do something else every day. Then you also get the positive benefits from that that new habit that end up replacing the satisfaction you might have gotten from those beers in the first place. Yeah, exactly. It's really weird in terms of the relaxation that I get from running is so similar. And maybe there's a mental thing because it happens around the same time of the day that I'm running now that I used to have a few beers that it just replaces the, the kind of relaxation that I used to get from the beer is now happening post run when I'm just you know, relaxing and I just had a good run. So that's cool. So I want to circle back to something that you mentioned earlier, because you brought up the fact that you have a coach. Can you tell me a little bit about your coaching relationship, how that started and, and why you went that path? Yeah. So that started, 
I think my brother recognized that I was in this tailspin and my coach is a good friend of my brother's. He introduced me and we just kind of hit it off really quickly. We just got into really good conversation and the coach, Mark, was not too pushy, anything like that. It was very consultative and very much trying to figure out what was going on in my head. And it's been a crazy journey because we've met every week for three years and it's really, really changed the way that I think about things. You know, early on within the first eight months or so, you know, I was hearing feedback from people I work with that it's, I'm just much more pleasant now, not freaking out about things so much. And it's been a, a gradual transition from there to where when things come up, when things are really hard, I have somebody I can go to who not only has the PhD in psychology, but also just a lifetime of experience and a lot of conversational stuff that he brings in that we can talk through and, and decide whether something's actually a big deal or something I should stop worrying about. And that's a really nice foil to have. So it's been a really great thing. And we've just been become friends over the time as well. So it's just nice to have somebody that you can talk to openly that has all that experience. Did that start as, and does it continue to be a professional relationship that you've, you're hiring this person as a coach? Yeah. So it is a professional relationship and he is a coach for a lot of really large companies here in uh, Silicon Valley. So he is a, an actual coach, but then it's, it's different because you're not, it's not so formal. It's not like, oh, we need to do X, Y, and Z today. And we have these papers to fill out or whatever, or these, you know, we got to go through this workbook. It's very much in terms of what's going on and what's happening mentally and what can we do with that. I'm curious, how do your coaching sessions work? Is this face-to-face -face usually? Yeah, it's almost always face-to-face. -face. And we pretty much sit down and he's been very good about making sure that whatever is going on in my mind happens first so we can address that and move past it. So usually we'll sit down and if something's bothering me, I'll just blurt it out right away and work through it. And sometimes that ends up taking up the full two hours. Other times he always comes in with something. So there's something to talk about, whether it's a, a book or a management strategy or a way of thinking about hiring, stuff like that. We will talk about that, but it always starts with whatever is just beating me up in my brain that week. And we'll often just stay on that the whole time. And these are two hour sessions. That's pretty in depth. Yeah, very in depth. We really get into it. And it's, it's something that has taught me a lot because I'll have these problems and we'll, we'll dig into why. So if something bothers me or something annoys me, it's usually not the actual action that is the problem. It's what's behind it and what it means for me and how that ties into my journey and my story and all those types of things. That is actually why it's bothering me so much. And then we'll dig into that so I can be aware when something similar happens in the future and not just react, but actually take a beat to think about what's going on. It sounds like having a coach who has both business and psychology in his background makes a big difference. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's so many things that I deal with. And now that I look around and I know other founders as well, they deal with are so psychological. They're not even business. It's, it's not the practice of the thing. It's why that thing is affecting you the way it is or why that thing is affecting your employee or your team the way it is. And those matter nearly as much, if not more than what you're actually doing. I can see that. And I'm curious if there are folks you, you read or who you follow who's, who have like have had a particular influence on your life. I follow Casey Neistat. He's a vlogger 
and I really like his stuff. It's just, it's grinding, it's working hard, but he's also a family guy, and he's got really strong morals, and it's just really cool to see how you can do both. You don't have to be this this soulless person if you're really successful and you're working extremely hard and you're you know really putting out a lot of effort you can still have these really strong moral components to you which i love so definitely had a big impact on me that's it's one of the main ones that i follow a lot i follow rand fishkin who started moz as well and he's got a similar type of story where he never let go of what makes him a truly good human despite having a lot of success and being on stage a lot and things like that so i like following those two guys that's cool and and the place that you are right now how does that match up with where you might have expected to be by the, this point in your life that's a good question i think there were times when i thought i'd be a lot further along there were times when i thought oh i'll put in the grind now back when i was 16 17 18 19 years old so that when i am 25 which i am at this point I won't have to be working hard. Now things have changed in terms of my perspective to where I don't know why I wouldn't want to be working hard. You know, this idea of working hard so you don't have to later has kind of left me. But I would say it's different. It's hard to say. At times, I think I am less far than I expected to be. At other times, I look around at my life and it just seems unreal in terms of where I'm at and the opportunities that I'm getting to do things that, you know, are just crazy and the people that I get to meet, it really blows me away. So at this point, I try to look at it from that perspective of being grateful and it really changes things. But in terms of where I thought I would be younger when I was younger, it's really, really hard to say whether I'm further or less far. <laughs> and from where you're standing right now, what do you see happening next? Where do you want to take this from where it is? I think what I see happening next is really solidifying who I am and my foundation as a person and then seeing where it goes from there. You know, it's these habits that I formed are just one piece of it. I totally understand that I'm a newbie and somebody could be listening to this and say, man, you just, you have not seen very much yet. And that's, absolutely true and i recognize that so i recognize that i'm still building this foundation but that's the joy of it for me is building up who i am and what i stand for and the things that i really enjoy doing and then see where that goes and i have this company right now that's doing super well which is awesome but at the end of the day it doesn't matter so much what i'm working on it's how i'm doing it and right now i'm really focused on solidifying my how that makes sense. That makes sense. So since we're talking about how, I'd love to dig a little bit into the how of how you're running your business these days. Because when you're at the point where you're scaling and you said you have a staff of about 10 people that you're working with, how do you structure that? What tools do you use? What techniques do you use to keep that organized and make that happen? Yeah, so there's a few components to it. And one of the components is trust. You have to trust people to do what you ask them to do. But one of the other really key components is having a number. And what I mean by having a number is that everybody on our team, including myself, has a number for what they are supposed to get done in a given quarter, in a given week, in a given month. And some people have a few numbers. And you're responsible for those numbers. But beyond being responsible for those numbers, you're not going to be hounded day to day on how you're doing your job. It's 
they're recorded in spreadsheets or in our CRM or in other places, or, you know, we're tracking progress on engineering projects, if that's your number. And so it's trust, but also accountability through those numbers. And then the third component to it is just the relational side of it. So building up those connections between team members and just making sure that everybody knows that at the end of the day, we are working on this thing and we do care about the numbers. We care about the company growing, but beyond that, we care about each other as people. And that's super important to make sure is stated more often than most companies ever do. Because at the end of the day, yeah, we're working on this company. It's super important. We love what we're doing, but it's not going to affect the rest of our lives. It's not going to change who we are as people. It can in good ways, but we don't want to have that happen in negative ways. So those three components, trust, numbers, and then just remembering that we're people and connecting. It takes a good level of maturity to be able to get to that point where you can be comfortable letting people work independently while nonetheless holding them accountable to that kind of a standard. This is your first big business. This is essentially the first the first thing you founded that has, has had real wheels that you've gone with. And I'm, I'm curious because you started this at a young age. And how did the fact that this is your first business factor into the way that you approached this? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the biggest way that it factored into it is I messed up a lot more than, you know, I would have if this was not my first business. And certainly if I go on to start another one in the future, a lot of these things I will know. So, you know, just a lot of things that I've done in the past that were hurtful or just not thoughtful, making big decisions without telling people or on the reverse hand, telling people too many things and then changing my mind over and over again things like that that I used to do way too much of that would really affect people negatively. And, you know, somebody's not always going to tell you if you said something that's hurtful. It, it's not not a natural thing to say, oh, that was hurtful. But at the same time, it plays out in the long run. So I would say the way that it's really affected me is that I've had to learn a lot of things the hard way by doing them wrong and learn a lot of good lessons out of that that I'm very grateful to know now, not only in business, but also in my personal life, which, you know, those things are very connected in terms of the relational side of things, just how to kind of deal with a lot of these things. So I would say I've made a lot of mistakes because it's my first time through. I don't regret making them because I just have learned so much and I continue learning so much. So I think on that side of things, it definitely has been a long process as this whole company has, but it's been a great process as well. How did you find the confidence to say, yes, I am going to take this one idea and this is what I'm going to write a hundred messages about and a hundred uh, articles about, and I'm going to just keep on pushing until I get that big customer. How did you find the confidence for that? Yeah, that came really early in my life. So when I was 15 in 2000 eight or 2007. I was growing up in the Central Valley in California. It was hit really hard by the financial recession. Unemployment was really high and I couldn't get a job. I grew up basically in poverty. So like on the line of poverty. And if I wanted to do anything, I had to make money. So what I decided to do was put an ad on Craigslist and make flyers for the one thing that I did know how to do, which was install lawns and sprinkler systems. And we got a hit, me and my best two best friends, we got a hit and we went and installed a lawn for a guy, even though it was the first time we had ever done it professionally other than working on our own yards. And it worked. 
after that, we did a bunch more lawns. And then I did another business where I was buying and selling laptops. So I got really, really, really practiced at acting much more mature than I was in order to sell products or services. And that's what gave me the confidence to say, okay, I know this thing works. And I also know how to sell stuff because I've made thousands of phone calls trying to sell laptops and hundreds of phone calls trying to sell lawn insulation deals when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. So really a ton of practice. You know, I love that Malcolm Gladwell book about the 10,000 hours. I put in my 10,000 hours before I turned 18 in the art of sales. And so I got really, really good at this idea of just pitching whatever it is you have to sell. And that's, that's the core of the confidence that I got was just all that practice. You have to get very comfortable with people saying no to you as well in that situation. Yeah, very comfortable. And you have to detach yourself and know that it's not you they're saying no to. It's just, there's a lot of reasons they could be saying no. And then you can look at it scientifically rather than emotionally. Well, I'm sure that there are people out there who are listening. We're going to want to find out more about you and about your business. How can people find you online? Yeah, so I am kind of old school. So I use LinkedIn. You can find me. I'm Josh Hanum. I'm actually the only Josh Hanum in the world. So And that's H-A-Y-N-A-M? H-A-Y-N-A-M, yeah. So if you go on LinkedIn or you can just use Google because I'm the only one. Uh, you can also email me directly, which is my primary method of communication online. So Josh at tryinteract.com. So T-R-Y interact.com. And then the product that I created for the quizzes is just tryinteract.com. Fantastic. Well, you are old school, aren't you? Yeah, pretty old school. People say I'm like 47, I'm 25. So <laughs> someday I'll grow into how old I am. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, thank you, Josh, for joining us today and then for sharing all your information with my listeners. Yeah. Thank you for having me. That was really fun. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening.